Welcome to the Stargate Archives, buried deep within Cheyenne Mountain. Greetings everybody, welcome to this new episode from the Stargate Archives as we begin to look at the second season of Stargate SG-1. If you've been listening to the show recently you will know that the plan is to finish the regular coverage of SG-1 with this episode. It is the third part in a trilogy that straddles season 1 and 2. And then we're going to go kind of a piecemeal, just jumping about any episode, any series, with the exception of Infinity, but you never know. Welcome to the Serpent's Lair and the Return of Ian. Hello. You've been away a while. <laughs> I have. I've been quite a while. I've had to record on my own. I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> I know you held off for a while, hoping, I think. But uh, yeah, I've been really, really busy. Trying to juggle time has been, well, as you all know. Yeah, always planning to record an episode and then last minute things crop up. I think we've rescheduled this one two or three times now. <laughs> yeah, real life can be very demanding. But you've got yeah. to priorities and podcast about Stargate isn't high on anybody's priorities. What? That's lies. You take that back. I don't know. There's been a couple of podcasts I've been listening to uh, taking short breaks because of scheduling issues and whatnot. Another few podcasts that started maybe a year or two ago have fallen by the wayside. It's a big commitment to do a weekly podcast. Yeah, well, especially a weekly podcast, because you just don't know what's going to crop up, and you've got no real no real buffer time there, have you, sir? No. If something happens, you need to get the episodes out. Unless you've got them stacked up high, waiting to go out and scheduled, then as soon as something happens, it's, it impacts the schedule. So. It does. Right then, like I said, tonight we're going to be looking at The Serpent's Lair, Season 2, Episode 1 of Stargate SG-1. Uh, we left the story, well, might as well start, haven't we, and the previously on Stargate SG-1. We have a quick look of General Hammond telling us that the SGC is going to be shut down and the gate is going to be figuratively and metaphorically buried. Yeah, pretty bad times for any Stargate fan that's been watching for the first series and is uh, is thinking that they're, they're really enjoying this. Yeah, it seems like a, a stupid idea because, you know, you kind of left the porch open. The bad guys know yeah. you are there. Burying a strategic device like the Stargate isn't really going to solve anything. No, it's like hiding your guns and saying, look, we promise we won't shoot you back. And then yeah. <laughs> all you've done is put your only defense away. Put your head under the duvet and said, you can't see me, so I can't see you. <laughs> so it's perfectly fine. I'm perfectly safe. If only it were that simple. Yeah. i got to say, by the way, it was such a pleasure rewatching this uh, episode in the previous episode. Forgot how strong the season finale was for the first season. Incredible. Oh, <laughs> they were very good, weren't they? Yeah, really, really good. But then again, written by Brad Wright, directed by Jonathan Glasner. Can't really go wrong with the two show creators. You certainly can't. Very strong. This episode premiered June the 26th, 1998 in America. Then we got it over here September the 2nd, and our friends in Germany had to wait till May the 13th, 1999. Wow. Yep. You can get away with that now. Not so much, no. You can pretty much put money on either Netflix or Amazon picking up a series that doesn't immediately get picked up by... Uh, the BBC or ITV or some Channel 4 or something like that. I know. <laughs> well, I'm glad gone are the days of uh, waiting six months while you know another country's already watched it and there are spoilers out there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like the, the global premiere of Doctor Who, which basically means we've got to wait so that the Americans can watch it at the same time as we do. 
<laughs> that's what it means. <laughs> it is, that is true. Yeah. Anyway, that's a different show. Anyway, yeah, so we're uh, we're uh, way off on a tangent. <laughs> the episode opens proper uh, as the camera zooms into the Hatak onto the bridge. Or Well, we assume it's a bridge because it's got the, the flight controls. So, yes. The Hatak. Can I just make a note? There's a wonderful little point here where the camera zooms in really fast to the bridge. And then what must be the difference between the CG model and the <laughs> and the stage track as the speed suddenly plummets <laughs> in about half a second and it goes from really fast to really slow. <laughs> yeah, point out that if you keep all this space, the rendering time is going to go into days, yeah. not an afternoon. It's quite excellent. We get a nice shot of SG-1 in the room. Of course, they are talking about all the C4 that they've planted around the ship. Yeah, they're big fans of C4 and they have got that stuff hidden everywhere. I do not know where they put it, but <laughs> well, somehow they've produced a lot of C4 from very tight tactical jackets. It makes you wonder, because they haven't had free run of the ship. Granted, there are lots of hiding places for somebody to infiltrate an attack. You know, maybe a corridor or two, a level or two, but surely not everywhere on the ship. Yeah. And you're talking about key places that will cause secondary explosions. That's fuel tanks, energy conduits, flight bays. Well, we've seen flight Stargate. bays, of course. Stargate. I'd have thought that Stargate could have taken a charge of C4. Yeah, i got to admit, I was pretty sceptical about that one. Yeah. We've seen Stargate survive suns exploding, so... Um, <laughs> That's I'm, true. But then I remembered, this was season one, so we'll give him a free pass. Yeah. And I've got, I've got to laugh. Daniel just whips out a block of C4. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I've got another <laughs> one. <laughs> yep. I know, that's what I mean. He just They're just coming from nowhere. Yeah, he attaches it to Helm Console... Luckily, the bright red LEDs will never be noticed by anybody important. <laughs> Nobody would ever walk past there. There's a, there's a big open space there for nothing. Yeah, you, you think that must be the greatest spot on the ship for the view. Yeah. My guess is there aren't that many windows on the ship. This is the one where, you, if you get the chance, ooh, pretty, you know, hyperspace, planets. What is that strange red thing with the digits that are slowly going down? <laughs> yeah, that must be there for a good reason. At this point, we also get Jack doing his best commander impersonation, where he's thinking of a, some sort of profound speech, like all good military leaders give on the eve of what may be their last day on Earth. <laughs> <laughs> and in perfect Jack, Jack response, he can't think of anything. It's fantastic, isn't it? It is. Brilliant. It put me in, my, in memory of, uh, I'm a man of few words. <laughs> so, in <laughs> conclusion. Oh, God, I, I miss Jack O'Neill and uh, Richard Dean Anderson. I know, the the witty little remarks everywhere are brilliant. Yeah, we hear... Well, before we hear anything, we see another ship through the window. We discover that Apophis is looming nearby. And they realise that it, their C4 isn't going to be much use if they blow up one ship and another one is left behind. Yeah, so much for... What's this? Uh, plan C, D, E? <laughs> I know it's not plan A or C B. C to 4. Yeah, C to 4, yeah. Yeah, so uh, the chance of actually winning this more battle is gone out the window. Time is running out. There are people at the door. Yeah, the wolves are literally at the door. <laughs> yeah, just a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Stargate never took itself seriously, and that's one of the reasons why I think it's such... Even though you could argue that it's not really meant to be a family-friendly show, there's enough humour in it, enough good-natured smiles and jokes that anybody can enjoy it. Oh, definitely. I started watching this when I was 10, I think. 
with my dad, and we would never miss an episode. <laughs> I was I was older. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe you. Twelve. You must have been twelve, Mike. Oh, <laughs> well, that younger now. <laughs> Let's not worry about that. The door is being forced open by the Jafar. We get a bit of a firefight in a very contained space. The amount of uh, energy discharge and bullets in a short space of time is immense. Yeah, I would not want to be the Jafar trying to break through that door. No, who's going through first? I am, not me. Fortunately, they've got a magic eight ball, so they're all good. That is a perfect science fiction weapon. Yes. A simple silver ball wouldn't cost $10 to manufacture you know, by the props department. And then, if you want to explain it, it kicks out some electromagnetic radiation, sound waves, light pulses, which disrupt your... Uh... Central nervous system? Yeah. That's the one. Let's go with that. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. Yeah. Very simple. <laughs> and it doesn't do any damage to the ship. Fantastic. I know, convenient. It is excellent. It's the flashbang without any of the uh, concussive force. Yeah. The team wake up to find themselves... Well, it's a, it's actually quite a nice brick. Yeah, they've been in far worse. Yeah, it looks remarkably like just a normal corridor with walls. <laughs> one of the one of the props guys is like, I've got a load of chicken wire we could put up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I I do like the like the idea. They they portray that they can't see very well. Yeah, that's excellent. Yeah, they've got that kind of vacant look that I'm not looking at anything. Yeah, especially Chris Judge Teal's blank stare into the middle distance is is excellent. Yeah, he's not, he's not even going to panic. No. <laughs> and then an excellent scene. I completely forgot this happens. Jack tries to wake up Sam and she bites his hand. She wakes up mean. Yes. You, you've got to remember that if any sort of relationship develops between them, when you wake her up in the morning, be very, very careful. Yeah, I imagine Pete learned that the hard way. <laughs> so the three of them have awoken and Daniel is hiding in the corner, propped up against the wall, sounding like he's been awake for a while. And he's realised that they've failed their mission. They're not going to be able to blow up the ship. They've been captured and so on. And Jack's being his usual cheery self. <laughs> he can't see. He's locked in a brig. He's been shot at and stunned with some sort of weird grenade thing. And he's like, it'll be fine. We've been in worse situations. <laughs> yes. Tilk is a little bit more stoic. He's a bit more realistic. Have we? <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not to my knowledge. <laughs> but they're alive, which is plus. Because let's face it, exactly. you know... How many times have the system lords let SG-1 live when they should just, just to put them down straight away? I would like to point out that of all of those times, this episode, Apophis is constantly like, no, no, just kill them. Just kill them, please. Yeah, yes. yeah. <laughs> all the way through the episode. Oh, we, we think we'll bring them over to your ship and you can torture them. No, 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 just, just kill them. <laughs> <laughs> just kill them. Look, airlock. Yeah vent <laughs> exactly we've been through this before it never works please just kill them now no unfortunately that doesn't happen well fortunately for us not for apophis and we get our first mention of uh them just having a bad day which seems to be a running joke throughout this episode well you can underline that can't you really in, in block capitals as well <laughs> yeah they probably survived longer than they expected they really didn't know what worst case scenario they were going to walk straight into some sort of parade ground with 10,000 Jafar surrounding them as they walked through the gate. Yeah, that, that wouldn't have been ideal. <laughs> For the story, they were fortunate, of course. Obviously, they were going to be fortunate. It was going to give SG-1 the opportunity to prevent the invasion of Earth. And in a nice way, it's pretty cool. Gate onto a ship. A little bit of a twist on what we usually get. Yeah, they had to manipulate the uh, the characters, the dialogue a bit to make this kind of explain how Tilk wasn't familiar with this class of vessel. 
He didn't really yeah. understand, high, you know, the speeds, hyperspeeds and all that. I think I mentioned it when I covered right the episode that it really didn't make sense for Tilk not to know this sort of thing. <laughs> even if his primary, you know, even if he had training on a death glider and then risen up through the ranks to command infantry and whatnot, he probably wouldn't know how to fly one of these ships, but he would know something about their capabilities. Yeah, it's a bit of a tactical advantage that you think you'd keep in your memory there when you were forming attacks against other worlds and things like that, going, oh yeah, those ships that can travel really, really fast and carry loads of people. Right then, we get a close-up of the sarcophagus opening up in its very stuttery way that it has <laughs> always been the case. Oh, it's, it's just brilliant, isn't it? I would have told them, spend a little money on finer gearing. Yeah, not only that, but actually add a bit of weight to the thing because it looks like foam. <laughs> it looks like EVA foam or uh, or polystyrene. It does. They could texture it a bit more. They definitely yeah. could. Of course, they can't match what the, what we saw in the movie, but they could have done a little better job on this. Yeah, it's the it's the bouncing of the of the material that's supposed to be made of stone that makes me laugh, <laughs> and it kind of wobbles. You can do a lot with the sound effects, but if you see it actually kind of gently moving smoothly for about half an inch, then stopping for a fraction of a second, then starting back up again. <laughs> Bless them. To be fair, they they improved a lot. Yeah. So Clarell, you know, he's he's not a happy camper either. I knew. Although uh, I assume, well, let's say. That's uh, he doesn't wake up yet, and we get somebody who sounds very familiar dishing out the punishment rather brutally. Yeah, I noticed that was a double shot. No messing around. Yes, the it makes you wonder if this guard, whoever this is in the armor, <laughs> if you can't tell by the voice, and surely you can tell by the voice. <laughs> if it already pegged this guy for someone he had to take care of, this maybe was his, one of his personal guards. And getting rid of any personal guard that can't be replaced straight away would be beneficial in the long run. There must have been a method to break that. Can oh, be very. You said who it was. I know. I know. <laughs> I'm not going to keep the guessing game going. Come on. Yes, he's going to kill people if that's what's required. But this seemed too deliberate. Yeah. Although is this? Although is this normal? If a god got injured, would his personal guard immediately be executed? Given everything else they do, it makes sense. Like they're not going to be like, oh, oh that's, that's your second warning. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Next Gold time your god the... gets injured really badly. Yeah, they're not really known for their uh, compassion and kindness towards anybody. <laughs> no. no, they're not. Just think back to, to the film. <laughs> the guards get thrown around by Ra in that one. Oh, yes, he does. But far less. Right then, we return to Cheyenne Mountain and the return of Colonel Samuels. Played by yes. Robert Wisden. In his shiny blue suit with all his barrel cream. <laughs> yes, we don't like him, everybody. Yeah, you can tell he's uh, not to be liked because of all the hair gel. That makes him a slimy character. Well, he, I mean, he kind of underlined it. He planted his flag right next to Senator Kinsey and he gave him all the dirt. Probably misrepresented everything SG-1 had done to make it look even worse than it was. Yeah. Obviously, if a military man is in tight with a rising politician, then chances of promotion are higher. Yeah. Trying to manipulate his way to the top. Yeah. He effectively here tries to tell General Hammond that he told him so. Stargate program's going to be shut down. Yeah, I spent half this episode calling Samuel's names. I don't mind admitting it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's not, he's not a nice guy. He has a plan to blow up the two ships the plan using some sort of Nakwada enhanced weapon 
effectively two nukes that have got Nagwada on them. This plan makes less sense than the Cylons' plan in the reimagined Battlestar. <laughs> I mean, this this is a plan devised by somebody who's never watched a science fiction TV or series in their life. <laughs> you mean in the context of the show? In, yes, in the context of the show. <laughs> in this universe, apart from Star the Star Wars exists. You know? Yep. Hey. Well, we should note, Teal has seen it nine times. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, Samuel's plan here is effectively to say, we can use, like, torpedoes in space, right? Slow-moving ballistic missiles, which they'll see coming from <laughs> two know. or three hundred miles. Yeah. And These massive ships. Oh, God. If... There's a point at which he says, uh, they, they quote the time that it's taking for them to, to travel, and it's like... Oh, impact in four minutes. <laughs> She's like, yeah. <laughs> One of the gliders could just be scrambled out and just go for a jolly little hunt to <laughs> blow them up. Yeah. Yeah. But I guess, like they say, it's the best they've got. Or it's all they've got. Unless they want to send shuttlecraft after them. <laughs> <laughs> right, where we return to Apophis's ship. The rings activate. The mysterious figure in the armour appears. There seems to be a lot of armoured, fully, fully armoured Jafar on this ship. Yeah, there's loads, when we don't often get them. They must have actually made all these for Children of the Gods when they had rooms full of them and thought, get them out of storage, let's use them. Yeah, put them to good use. And Apophis, he did always look good with his little gold-plated helmet. And, and his mascara and Yeah, I, I think he looked better early on than as, as the character evolved. He kind of, I won't say he softened a bit, but they were a little more... Flexible with his costuming and uh, his basic attitude. Yeah. He looks pretty panto and fabulous, but at the same time... <laughs> fabulous, <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, they used a lot of gold spray paint on that costume. <laughs> He's even got gold lipstick on, but he makes it work. I can't remember for the life of me the actor's name, but he really pulls that off. Peter Williams. Peter Williams, thank you. Yeah, he's excellent. <laughs> a regular at cons as well. Yes, indeed. The recent gate con where... If you were following any Stargate tweets over the weekend, Pack Solid from GateCon, Vancouver. Really? Oh, yeah. If you're also a subscriber to Stargate Command, you got access to some of the live feeds from the panels as well. Amanda Tapping, oh, wow. Michael Shanks. Pretty cool. Oh, I'm going to have to hit YouTube later on. They may pop up eventually. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, unlike CBS or anybody like that, MGM expects you to pay for the privilege of Stargate. <laughs> Which is fine. It would be fine if it was a full series, yes. 20 episodes or 12 episodes on Netflix yeah. or something like that. I've re-enlisted for another year anyway. Oh, I still need to watch the new uh, series, so uh, yeah. Ah, oh, time. Apophis's, well, first prime. He's got the gold emblem, but we've seen many a gold emblemed serpent guard in previous episodes, which <laughs> was a puzzle, but we'll let that go. That's Douglas H. Arthurs playing Cal, or Cahel. He also plays Hurur in a few episodes later on. Who does he play? Herower. But Ah, oh, Herower. If you listen to the Gatecast, we had, we had fun trying to figure out how to pronounce his name. <laughs> Basically pronounce it however you want. <laughs> <laughs> There's no right way. Exactly. And he looks like somebody who could put the boot in as well. Yeah. Office chose wisely, it seems. So, next up we get the gate room. Samuels is explaining their marvellous plan and trying to work out at the same time why the gold haven't attacked yet. They've just been sitting floating in space doing their thing, playing Angry Birds or something probably. Um, 
And yeah, they assume that they're waiting to see what the first strike will be, effectively toying with them a little bit. Well, from a military standpoint, if if you believe you've got overwhelming force, you roll up to the battlefield and you go, here I am. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Come on then. <laughs> go on, quake in fear. Yeah. Try it if you think you're brave enough. You know? <laughs> yeah, you've got to toy with them a little bit. We also find out here that apparently nobody else, I think this is the scene, nobody else on the planet has realised that there's two massive ships floating in space. No amateur astronomers, no SETI, nothing. Just the US Air Force, they're the only ones that have realised there's two massive ships sitting in orbit. Yes, I mean, you could understand when they first entered the solar system, they were out near Saturn. And yep. you know maybe the only, only the states have got long-range radar. Let's say they've got long-range radar <laughs> for scanning the solar system, which would be useful tracking all those asteroids and comets, which sooner or later is going to destroy all life on Earth. Yep, and space rubbish. <laughs> space rubbish, lots of space rubbish. Yeah, but like you say, these two ships, somebody would have spotted them. <laughs> yes. People spend all night looking up at the sky. Oh look, there's ISIS going by. Oh, the, <laughs> there's there's yeah. such and such a satellite. You can get apps which track every satellite, so you can go out and look at them as they fly yeah. past. What is that thing the size of a city? <laughs> There's two of them. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Stargate much later on is really good at recognising that there's other groups of people in the world that can spot things. But Series 1 is very much sort of the US are the only people that are aware of it. The US are the yeah. only people that can fight back. Everyone else is in the dark. <laughs> they should have just cut that little scene out of Armageddon with that astronomer who spotted the uh, comet, yeah. the asteroid. Just that one bit. <laughs> I've seen some uh, ring NASA. Yeah, I, I love that. That's brilliant. And then I've seen them, NASA. Uh, yes, sir, it's a weather balloon. <laughs> Honest. <laughs> they must get that a lot. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess they do, yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that scheduled, that's British Airways flight 222 <laughs> out of uh, LAX. Uh. <laughs> yeah, oh, Oceanic 815. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. I can remember when they referenced that in Chuck as well. Really? Yeah, they did. Oh, that was Chuck. when, you know, I think still on the air, when they said that, I just laughed myself silly. <laughs> it's good. I like to sneak little lost references in where I can. They're, uh, they're, they're good. Yeah. <laughs> and as you say, Samuels is given, well, it'd be nice if it was a PowerPoint presentation, but it's, it's just a little computer graphic on a, a CRT. It yeah. doesn't quite have the same impact. It's a really nice graphic. As far as Stargate goes, this is actually a cracking graphic. We have like a flat, texture of the earth and it wraps around to make this 3d sphere and at the same time there's a missile floating around past the earth and uh, the camera pans across it it's quite elaborate for stargate there's usually flat 2d <laughs> graphics line drawing sort of things and yeah, yeah. somebody's bought themselves a new editing package haven't they <laughs> yes <laughs> and samuel throughout all this slimy as yeah and the arrogance of the guy Oh, you know, we're going to send up two rockets from Vandenberg. They've got Naquida, that SG-5, recovered. Thousand megaton warheads. They're going to go sailing off to these. They're cloaked. They're covered in the same material our stealth fighters and stealth bombers are covered in. <laughs> the radar light devices they've got, they won't see right through them. And you're going, what do you mean radar? They don't <laughs> I use <know>. radar. <laughs> they are interstellar faster than the light ships. They've got something a little bit better, I think. Yep. I know, I thought that was hilarious. Yeah, <laughs> I know. They're made of the same material as us. You just want to scream yep. again, like they say. We've got nothing else to do. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I know, that's the problem, isn't it, I guess. 
were these being developed to take out orbital spacecraft, or were these being developed for just adding to the American arsenal? Yeah, that's a good... that's a worrying thought. <laughs> We're a season in. What is Mayborn up to at Area Fifty One that they don't have anything better? <laughs> just got some Nacrilla and strapped it to a rocket. Job done. <laughs> I suppose this is early on. You know, Mayborn is still finding his footing. Is his evil deeds will flourish and mature <laughs> as, as the years go by. His machinations, yeah. It makes me wonder if maybe Samuels could have been pegged as somebody who had been a, a longer-running figure. He's got a very Mayborn-esque type Very character. similar characters. Yeah. Despised by everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But we learn to love him. Well, not Samuels, but Mayborn. Yeah, Mayborn. Because they Hammond. Hammond hates Samuels with a passion. Yeah. <laughs> and more so because ultimately, you know, Samuels has a point. The, the president is signing off on this. The Joint Chiefs are signing off on this. General Hammond, you're just a two-star general. Yeah, there's, there's no argument, yeah. He is a two-star general, and Samuels is in his facility. <laughs> a little respect, please. <laughs> All right, meanwhile, back in the brig. Why has the brig got a paper wall where you can see a silhouette of the people that walk by? Yeah, quite weird. They can't see the prisoners inside because there's no light source <laughs> on the inside. No. Yeah, it is a bit peculiar. It's also maybe the first time I've ever seen rice paper walls in a gold ship other than possibly you. Yeah, that would maybe... Uh, I don't know. If they did it now, it would be severely criticised. The uh, Asian system lord had rice paper walls in his spaceship. <laughs> yeah. No matter how pretty it looked. <laughs> Yeah, now I'm going to have to go and check. <laughs> right then, so uh, we see uh, the silhouette of the headpiece being raised. The door starts opening. SG-1 are getting ready to jump the guards as they come in. Jack and Tilt by the door. And break um, back! Yeah, <laughs> which is excellent. Also, interestingly, only his face is visible in the suit. Usually the entire head folds down into the neck piece. Yeah, that's a, that's a point. There'd be no reason... They could easily have very easily animated the silhouette folding away totally. Yeah. It looks good, though. It does. It looks pretty awesome. We assume the guards standing outside that keep looking around at each other must be on Braytac's team, because otherwise they're going to be wondering what on earth is happening. If you go into some prisoners, then you start talking quietly and making small <laughs> gestures. You know, the other guards are going, what's going on here? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure. Especially when you walk out with the prisoners <laughs> and you're in front of them. Yeah, Jack doesn't get quite the welcome he was expecting, though. No, he doesn't. No. He gets smacked in the nose. Quite viciously. Yeah. It dropped him. Granted, I mean, Braytac's got an armoured fist as well. The very fact that Jack's nose wasn't broken and blood pouring out of it is quite remarkable. Does Braytac have an armoured fist? I have noticed the guards have pretty much armour everywhere, except their hands, which are holding the staff weapons. So their hands are always uncovered, which seems really odd. Was he carrying his Zat gun in, in his hand? He didn't hit him with his bare hand, I'm sure of that. Yeah, it certainly looked painful. Mind you, they, they have the holster of Zat gun on the forearm, don't they? Yes, they do. Yeah. Tilk, old friend, nice reunion for master and pupil. Sam and Daniel, they were well out of it. Jack is still sitting on the floor. <laughs> Holding his nose. <laughs> yeah, big baby. Yeah. <laughs> I know, and then he gets yelled at by Braytac. <laughs> poor, poor Jack. Yes, I was all ready to save your world and you're screwing it up. Humans. Yeah. Jack's like, it's our world! <laughs> Surely we can help. <laughs> Braytac's having none of it. Yeah, leads him out. Off to save the day. Or, or at least to try and save the day. Yeah. Um, Braytac does nothing without a plan. 
he's got this all worked out and the arrival of SG-1, as is often the case, screws up other people's plans. In future yeah, years, we'll see the Tokra say exactly the same thing. Yeah, he's usually four steps ahead, except for when he breaks out Jack's we'll cross that bridge when we come to it line. <laughs> yes. All right, we jump back to the SEC. Walter's in this day. Yes. <laughs> Mind you, they're under alien invasion, so nobody gets a holiday today. Everybody's <laughs> in. Uh, he was doing a stand-up routine at the local pub and they had to call him in an emergency. <laughs> well, that's one of the problems they've said. You know, by keeping all this quiet, they can't really mobilise any major forces. They can't put aircraft in the air because Russia and China would immediately go, what the hell's going on with you lot? You know, you've gone to DEFCON 3 straight away. What, what's going on? They are literally, let's keep quiet and do nothing until we launch two missiles. And what are they? Uh, weather satellites. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, never you mind what they are. There's going to be a big explosion. Uh, we'll just pretend they failed. This is where they realise that SG-1 might be on board. Yes, they've somehow detected... They've got some pretty neat, good pictures of these spacecraft. Yeah. Especially given that they didn't know the ships were going to arrive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not that easy to relocate satellites, or especially spy satellites, that are pointing down to look out into space and track something but they've got some decent pictures they've de detected the energy output and explosion a bit strange but walter walter's on the ball he thinks hey it came from inside walter you're a bloody genius man yep he, he not much gets past water the general leaps he leaps sg1 walter, <laughs> yes that's because the general has seen sci-fi programs <laughs> <laughs> Samuels is having none of it. <laughs> yeah, he points out, there's an excellent line where Samuels says, I think that's just wishful thinking on your part. And General Hammond says, ah, yeah, yours is wishful thinking too, but we're still trying it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Then we go to back up to the ship and we can see that everyone's standing around some sort of box filled with weapons. Yes, the packing crates with the symbol of uh, Apophis on it motorized lids for some obscure reason i thought that was hilarious <laughs> <laughs> well everything has to be motorized they're all kitted out there's seven of them at the moment four members of sg1 and three jafar they're going to take the ship they're going to destroy the other one they're going to save the planet all in the space of the next couple of hours brilliant <laughs> jafar efficiency at its best yeah this is the plan it points out that most of the system lords are taken down by their children. Yeah. Says a lot for the fact that, well, family bonds don't mean a lot. <laughs> no. I mean, we we do learn that the Jafar have queens. We know Hathor was a queen. They didn't really go into a great amount of detail how she spawned all these new uh, symbiotes, the new larva, exactly what role Daniel played in it or whatever male... <laughs> I, I don't understand it i'm trying to yeah i think i think we all know that episode was formed for a couple of very good reasons yeah the idea is that chlorel has some sort of biological tie to apophis the symbiote was produced by a queen that is under the rule under the control of apophis of course i say at this point none of that might have actually been written yeah, exactly. They, I think they, they must have spent a lot of time working out that this is going to go quite far and they're going to get extra seasons. They need to put some kind of structure in place for uh, how everything works. Like the, the zap with its three shots to vaporize. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Ill thought out. 
seemed like a good idea at the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that was uh, Braytach's plan anyway. He was going to attack Apophis in the name of Clarell. Apophis, maybe having already experienced this before, would figure that, yep, his son's turned on him, start a shooting war between the two ships. Of course, that's not a problem. Clarell's dead. Uh, duh. <laughs> Sarcophagus, yeah. he will rise again. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. Jack's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean, come on, guys. Yep. And this is where, of course, we'll have help from Earth's warships. Yes, oh, I love this. <laughs> At this point, Braytac is still hopeful. Yeah, well, well we've got shuttles. <laughs> yes. Shuttles, are they formidable vessels? <laughs> oh, you don't want to break his heart, do you? <laughs> no, you really no. don't. <laughs> Tilk abandoned pretty much everything because he saw SG-1 in action. He, he saw them stand up for something that was right, risk their lives for people other than themselves. Braytac is following Tilk's lead. He really doesn't know too much about Earth, SG-1. He's learning, unfortunately. He's learning. <laughs> yeah. It's excellent. So, yeah, Jack tells him that they are formidable. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, don't worry about the fact that they're, they're built by the lowest bidder and they are a far <laughs> cry from the original designs. Yeah, effectively glorified aeroplanes. Right, back at Stargate Command, General Hammond is giving a big speech to some, well... Yeah, call them volunteers. They volunteered for a mission. They don't know what that mission was. It turns out they are going to be taken to the Alpha site, which is at the other end of the galaxy. Thank you for volunteering. If Earth is destroyed, you'll be calling that place home. It looks very much like these volunteers didn't even know about the Stargate program as well, because they're standing in awe of the Stargate. That seems odd. Yeah, you'd think they'd have been briefed beforehand. You could choose people excelled in rough living... Science, engineering, math. You're looking at basic stuff. Yeah. Hunting, fishing, being able to handle uh, local fauna, local wildlife. It's basically, imagine camping but 100 years ago. Yeah. You're pioneers. When your bullets run out, you ain't got any more. That's it. And you've got to cherry pick the best and brightest from all the different areas. At least they're not just sending through a load of politicians. (laughs) Not this time. Yeah, not this time. (laughs) They have thought about this a little bit. Yeah, which is good. General Hammond gives a very rousing speech between all the chevron-locked messages from Walter while he's standing in a very precarious position on the ramp. I don't know. He's put a little mark on on the ramp where the cavalry ends. He's he's fine. (laughs) Stand here, unless you're taller, then stand further forward. Pretty impressive moment as well when the the cavalry happens and the puddle forms behind Hammond's head. It looks very good. It does, yes, indeed. Yeah. Good heroic pose from Hammond, who often just gets to sit in his shirt and give orders. I think they also made a decision that they wanted a very mixed and diverse group of people. Mm-hmm. Both in the briefing room, you looked at the, the generals, the colonels, there were blacks, whites, there were female. In this group, again, mixed races, mixed sexes, they're not all six-foot white guys. No, exactly. You got the feeling that the casting says we want diversity. It makes sense. Probably what Stargate is all about, especially when they have episodes where purity and sticking to some sort of agenda, or not agenda, dogma, is more important. Right, let's jump straight to the Hatak. Clarell is arisen. He is pissed. Yeah, he's he's not best pleased. <laughs> no. <laughs> not even a five or ten seconds. Oh, where am I? Oh, that was a rough time. Nope, nope. 
we're going to burn this world to ashes. We're going to kill everybody. Presumably his, his symbiote has been sitting in there raging the whole time at the fact that he almost died and got shot and his guards were useless. Yeah, that's that's the point, isn't it? Yeah. Is the symbiote conscious? Because Hathor was in her sarcophagus for a long time. Yeah. But then you'd think that they would be like, symbiotes would a very can live for a very long time. You'd think they'd be masters of meditation, effectively. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's where the Jeffar got the idea of Kaunorim, then, from the symbiote. <laughs> Probably. Otherwise, the symbiote's going to be kicking around going... <laughs> yes. That sort of time when you do not know what to do on a wet Sunday afternoon. <laughs> that I'm sure I read in Douglas Adams' book. Probably Hitchhikers, come to think about it. You should always know where your towel is. There's a new Blu-ray release of Hitchhikers. Is there? Of the movie or the TV series? TV series. Oh, yes. Hopefully, lots of extras. Amazing. Oh, I may have to get that. Right, we have a quick cut back to the SGC. Samuel's, was it T-minus 20 minutes or was it 20, 20 seconds? 20 minutes? Something uh, like that. Hold at uh, T-minus. Something. It was Samuel's. I was too busy booing. <laughs> Jump back to the Hattack. We get three Death Gliders. Jack thinks... <laughs> Jack. <laughs> Chlorel. Bear with us, ladies and gentlemen. There's a slight technical hiccup happening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah we, we return to the Hattack. I think this is where Jack learns the scope of Braytac's plan. He was going to attack Apophis' ship with three Death Gliders. Yeah. That's a good plan. That's a good plan. I know, without giving too much away, that in Atlantis we get one ship attacking a hive, which surprisingly worked, but... Yeah. <laughs> the rockets, by the way, four minutes. They take four minutes to reach their target. Uh, yeah. So, really fast. Yeah. Because they are. They get out that of the fast. orbit. Yeah. Yeah. And they've got to get away from it. Yeah, when you see a standard rocket launch or satellite launch, it takes a while, 20, 30 minutes, because the actual rocket kind of does a roller coaster. It goes to a certain altitude, then points down to gain speed, then goes back up again. Yeah. I can remember watching a rocket launch. I thought, well, I never, I never knew they did that. I just thought it went straight up. Mm. They're not trying to get vertical. They're trying to get in the same direction as the planet. Yeah. So, yeah, we, we get bounced back up to the attack, and we find that they have some sort of plan they realise they need to uh, blow stuff up. And they ask Jack what he's got. I'm like, we've got C4. It's good for blowing things up. All right, what is that? It's, Teal says it's a crude explosive device. <laughs> <laughs> um, accurate, but it is effective. Yeah. Like you say, the missiles have launched from Vandenberg. Uh, my note is Samuels is a dick. Exclamation yep. mark. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, yeah, at this point we have Samuels announces there's 30 seconds till impact, or Walter says that. And Samuels is looking very smug. We quickly cut back to the attack again. Florella is trying to activate the shields, and they don't seem to be working for some reason. He's waving his hand over the thing, and his hands are twitching, and he's looking very puzzled, and it cuts back to Apophis, and Apophis is saying, come on, come on, put your shields on, put your shields on, and we go back to Chlorel. It's very tense. Chlorel's uh, looking nervous, and we go back to the SGC, and they announce they've got five seconds till impact. Back to Chlorel again, who finally manages to put the shields up with a, an evil glow of his eyes. And then, boom, the rockets impact against the energy shields and do nothing. I've got to say, the shields went up quick. They did. No messing about. No, they were. Uh, and they went up from the point at which the rockets were going to impact, which was really convenient. <laughs> Not from the top of the pyramid or anything like that. You remember Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan when you got that little, well, not a graphic, but actual physical display of the shields going up on the oh, Enterprise yeah. and little lights came on going clockwork around around the ship and I thought, surely that's not the way the shields come up. <laughs> <laughs> Just one bank at a time. Yeah. 
So, yeah, we're still inside the attack, and there's like a big shake. SG-1 realized something must have hit the shields of the ship. Probably their first inkling that someone down on Earth is actually trying to do anything. For the size of the nuclear device and the extra the ship is that powerful, is that strong, the shields are that strong, that it only transmitted that vibration. Yeah. That wasn't just a nuke going off. That was the granddaddy of all nukes going off. Biggest weapon Earth has ever devised. And it just shook the ship a little bit. Aye, like a stone off a pond. Yeah. Yeah. You know, driving along and there's a little pebble hits your windscreen. You never see it. You just go, oh, what was that? Yeah. Don't talk to me about that. Oh, sorry. <laughs> we have a windscreen. <laughs> it was a big pebble, was it? At the minute. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so it was pretty interesting. Yeah, they, they realised that something's hit the ship. We jump back to the SGC and they say, eh, nothing's happened. <laughs> yep, so much for that plan. Samuels looks, well, Bernard Samuels looks pretty nervous and Hammond looks pissed off. He's already probably, probably thinking ways that he doesn't get the blame. Yes, yeah, you can see his, the cogs are turning. He's trying to work his way out of it. Yeah, uh, I, I, I worked under Mayboard. Yeah. Uh, yes. I, I, I you won't <laughs> see my name on any of these paperwork, you know, uh, requisitions. No, sir. <laughs> I was only following orders, honest. <laughs> the president signed off on this. It was his idea. Yeah. And we jump back to the ship, and Braytac and Jack are skulking around, looking like they're up to no good, and they bump into a couple of guards. Yes, and credit to the guards. They were eager. Yeah, they were. The good shots. They were opening up with the Zat guns, you know, a nice little brief firefight. Pretty good little action sequence. Yeah. Nothing special, but it, it fitted very nicely. Jack got his MacGyver on with some nice little rolling and shooting and uh, got complimented by Braytac on his technique. Yeah, I'm, I'm just a little disappointed that the... Granted, the System Lords and Apophis especially, he does not have any doubts about the loyalty of his people, even after Tilt. Although, of course, we do learn about a certain little safety device he puts on death gliders later on. Oh, yes. But why? Again, these ships don't have any security division. They don't have any cameras or anything like that. Weapons fire all over the ship, but nobody seems to be reporting a damn thing. Yeah, I was going to say that. I know. You can imagine, okay, so the ship's as big as a city, and it's clearly not got that many people on it. Although, enough that you could fill a fleet of death gliders uh, somewhere. You're going to invade a planet. Yeah. There must be troops, ground troops, on that ship. Somewhere. Who knows where? They're in the mess or something. I don't know. They're on their break. <laughs> if it's that big a ship, you can understand that it might take a while to get to wherever the firefight might happen to be. But they never appear. You never no. see like 200 people arrive going, we know that they're here. Find them, kill them. It's two guards walk down a corridor. No idea about tactics. You know, one engage, one step back, calls for backup. Yeah. And then goes to help his partner. No. <laughs> Stand right in the middle of the hallway and shoot his out. To be fair, that, that probably comes with having never actually fought proper battles. Could be, yes. They're used to looking after peasants who are scared and will do anything. And they're really there for show. Unfortunately, the side effect of all this secrecy on Earth is that, well, the EMP from the nukes have disrupted communication satellites. They can't warn anybody. The Earth is pretty much defenseless. Where hey. <laughs> yeah. Not the greatest idea. No. I know the American government, the American military, didn't want to actually let Russia and China and all the other major powers into the game they were playing, but this hasn't gone well. No, and at this point we can pretty much assume that Hammond's telling the president that it's over, because he tells him he recommends he gets on Air Force One. Yeah, because it's going to be perfectly safe flying. 
refitted 747 around the skies of America while two giant spaceships are hovering 100 miles above you. Yes. <laughs> Not ideal either. And we jump back to the attack again and the ring system opens up and Chlorell appears behind Apophis who is looking exceedingly annoyed. Yes. This is, I'm disappointed in you, boy. Yes. <laughs> I'm sorry, Dad. <laughs> I'm not even looking at you. He literally says to him, do not disappoint me. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. You know you're in trouble. We're not even looking at you. <laughs> Dad, yeah. look. Go. Be gone. Interestingly, Laurel says, I think I need some more time in the sarcophagus. My host is very strong and is overpowering me effectively. And Apophis is like, what? <laughs> he doesn't want to hear that, does he? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the very idea of a host exerting any sort of control on the symbiote, that's not good. You no. never want to hear that. Especially when you're supposed to be a god. Yeah. There's no room for doubt in their system of government. So Chlorel turns tail and heads back to his ship. Yes, we return to one of the many similar-looking corridors. Attack. <laughs> yep. There are guards this time. That's good to know. Jack is eager to jump into the fray, but Braytac and you know puts a you know a hand up. Uh, let me sort this out. Let me show you how it's done. And he nonchalantly walks into the corridor. Evening, lads. Evening, lads. How are you? <laughs> yeah. Wait one second. Steadies himself. Takes his stance. Bang, 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 bang. There we go. Saunters off. <laughs> you go. Oh, come on. Tony Amadala is not is not a young man even here, and he does some nice. Nice work with the uh, the staff weapon. It makes you wonder if if he's had some sort of training in his past. Yeah. He's been around a long while, so who knows? knows it's like Cliff Simon when you realise that he was a professional swimmer. You know, he's been in the South African military, you know, all this before he, he went into acting and dancing. And... Why does that not surprise me? <laughs> <laughs> At the Moulin Rouge, for Christ's sake. Oh, man. He just oozes charisma, doesn't he? <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Cliff Simon, excellent. Well, I should look forward to some episodes with Baal later on. Yep. If we're cherry-picking, I'll have to put my name in the hat for some of those. <laughs> right, back at the SGC, one of the other gate technicians. Don't know her name. I think she's only regarded as a technician, Laura Sadiq. She appears quite a few times throughout the uh, series. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, this is where Samuels is feeling sorry for himself. And once again, I was calling him all the names under the sun, but also taking a pause while the general... Told him what's what. Yeah, he uh, he effectively says, "Well, we're pretty screwed, and uh, there's not really anything I can do here. So um, yeah. <laughs> I'll just I'll just head off to the to the nice safe alpha site if that's cool." <laughs> Hammond's having none of it. You not. will get armed, and you will defend this base. You will do nothing that nobody I expect from anybody else. Yeah, and he also effectively tells him, "We are sending the best and brightest. You will serve yeah. no purpose on the alpha site." <laughs> <laughs> well, he's right. Because Samuels isn't a leader of men. In the US military, in any military, you can rise through the ranks through, obviously, military action, battlefield promotions. You can go to West Point or, is it Sandhurst? Go straight into the officer programme. I suppose, like Carter, you can also rise through the ranks through the technological and research side of the military as well. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I've got a feeling that Samuels rose through the ranks because of his paper pushing more than anything else. He's yeah. an administrator. That's all he is. Taking credit for other people's work. Possibly, yeah. You know, for a fact, he didn't build those rockets. <laughs> no, he didn't. But he would have been up for a promotion if they'd worked. Yeah, we also find his extra plan here. He's like, well, 
I guess I could send a bomb to Chulak and kill a load of people there. That would give me something oh, to do. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. And uh, Hammond puts him <laughs> in his place again, says there's absolutely no military reason to send a bomb to Chulak. Yeah, why don't we gate to that address that Daniel had? And yeah. you just want to start banging your head on the table. Yeah. <laughs> good. Get a lot of good Hammond scenes in this episode. We do, yeah. Usually dressing down Samuel. <laughs> <laughs> right, we return to the Hattack. Break tack is in full flow. Jackie's following around like a little puppy. <laughs> Learning much? Yes, I will lead, you will follow. Yes, I love that line. Yeah, Jackie's yes. like, okay, okay, here's what we're going to do. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> he hasn't got much time for humans. Still hasn't. He still hasn't quite been sold on the idea that humanity is capable of anything. No, well, and he's like 100 and something. 190, 150, I can't 133. remember. 133. Oh, they well remembered. No, because he says it in this episode. Oh, yeah. Not bad for an old man. <laughs> for him, I guess Jack is effectively like a 10-year-old or something going, well, we could do it. No. <laughs> oh, no, yeah. yeah. Uh, running around with very dangerous weapons. Yes, exactly. At this point, though, Braytac is going to go in to see Clarell himself. Why? I'm, I'm on his personal guard. I'm his loyal servant. Yeah. We get a badass move from Braytac here. He says, no, I'm not not doing what you want. Clara wants him to come and have a look at the death and destruction they're about to cause. And Braytac stands his ground and says, mm, no, nah, I'm cool. And Clarella's very confused. Yes, this is probably literally the very first time any Jafar has defied anything, he said. Yeah. Because he's still a young system lord, you know. He probably knows of the concept that there have been traitors, maybe minor rebellions, obviously with the genetic memory and whatnot. Yeah, well, he knows about Teal, the traitor. I'd love to know how that genetic memory works. <laughs> it's simple. You can't have the entire knowledge of the system, Lord. You must have the, only the knowledge of your sire or the queen. No, you just bolt on some extra chromosomes to the DNA strands, and they act like flash drives, and you just, like, dump stuff into them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, God I'm, I'm, I'm imagining some sort of ghoul queen gangbang where all the... <laughs> you know, Right, who, who got experiences on planet BX32? Me? Come on then, your turn. <laughs> yep. Oh, dear me. Like a bowl of flash drives. <laughs> <laughs> right, so uh, Braytac, totally defiant, Clarell, gonna scramble his brains. We get the epic, I die free. Good line. This is the point where Braytac pointed out that you will know when. Jack, the chat figure, this is it, lads. Yes. <laughs> and in, in they burst, although they do leave Daniel outside. Yeah, and Daniel is holding his ground. One gun in each hand, a P90 and a... Well, no, not a P90 at this point, but some sort of automatic weapon. MP5 in one hand, and 9mm in the other. Yeah, and he's going for it. Takes down a few guards. Yeah, you know, that's pretty difficult to hold automatic weapon with one hand. It is waving around a lot, but True. doing a good job. I really like the puzzled look on Daniel's face when he gets given the gun, <laughs> first of all. He looks at it twice like, I don't know what to do with this. There should have been a line, I'm an, I'm an archaeologist, not a soldier. Ah, <laughs> oh, that was a missed opportunity. It was, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. This is a scene where we get an awful lot of red shirts. <laughs> yes. Of dropping like flies, bullets, energy blasts, of flying across the room. Everybody's having a, a grand old time. <laughs> well... Well, apart from the people that are getting killed, of course, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say. You don't really get, the, really get the chance to open up with these weapons in a tightly controlled space. <laughs> no. There's the Jafar have been walking around with those weapons for years going, 
ah, one day. One <laughs> day, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they didn't expect it to be today. <laughs> no, unfortunately, Daniel, for all his valour, for all his courage, doesn't quite understand the need for duck and cover. No, he doesn't. <laughs> he finally gets hit by a staff weapon, hits him on the left shoulder, left chest. Pretty bad wound. Yeah, he's got scorch marks on his face. But obviously, because he's one of the heroes, a staff weapon doesn't kill instantly. Oh, no, no, you're quite right. No. At this point, I don't think they've got the plate armour either, have they? No. Or the ceramic armour. No, no. No, if the Jafar are walking around with their massive metal armour, they get shot with a P90 once and they're dead instantly. But Daniel takes a massive staff weapon to the (laughs) chest and he's perfectly fine. (laughs) Oh, dear. Anyway, that's TV. (laughs) It is, yep. We're getting a payoff. We always say, look, the good guys have got to lose somebody. Somebody's got to get seriously hurt. Or yeah. it's just totally unrealistic. We've seen the Jafar go down. Yeah, Braytax lost his two guys, but we never knew them. No, no, they were. their card was marked. <laughs> they, they couldn't even say, this is Bob. I don't even oh, think hi, they Bob. got a line. <laughs> no, they were just a couple of guys in the background. Yeah. But Daniel says he's going to... Daniel's sitting charred, but he's able to speak. He says to Jack that he's going to stay behind and make sure they get off the ship. He knows he's dead anyway. He might as well be of use, some use to them. Yeah, Jack's a soldier. He understands. He knows Daniel is moments away from death. He's not getting off this ship. Yeah. Worst case scenario, we all die. I'll just die a little bit quicker than you will. Yeah. That's fine. If it works, if you get off this ship, you blow this ship, and I've done my little part to hold these up, that's good as well. Yeah. Daniel's accepted he's going to die and he's going to do something about make his last few minutes count. That's got to be pure gold to Jack. Yeah, a lot of respect. He already likes Daniel. Took him a while, a lot from the movie, you know, didn't become friends, but they understood each other. First year, actually working together, they're becoming friends. And this could be with one key part where he really, really begins to respect Daniel. Mm-hmm. Good, it's a good scene. They go running off. Daniel, Daniel's not done. He, like you say, he starts crawling. He's had an yeah. idea. Yeah. What could that be? Who knows? <laughs> Jack says, Daniel's staying behind. And very matter of fact, he's done this before. Richard Dean Anderson plays that really well. As if the character himself is holding something in and he's got to take the lead and be the leader and make that military decision, like you said, and just say, Daniel's staying behind. As if to say, don't ask any more about it. Decision has been made. Something has happened. You'll find out about it later. Yeah. And Sam gives a nod, looks puzzled, but gets the message. Something's happened. Now's not the time. Use the ring device to jump over to Apophis's ship with Clarell in tow. Bit of a, a face-off between the two groups. I'm surprised that Apophis really values Clarell at this point, because surely, oh, you disappoint me again. You've been captured. Yeah. I think he's saving face for the rest of his guards at this point. He's like, well, I can't I can't make him look like that much of a failure. Yes, Poffers isn't very happy with Braytac either. No. <laughs> Braytac has pretty much burnt his last bridge. Yeah, he rubs, rubs salt into the wound a bit and then decides he's going to staff weapon the Peltac. So um, Poffers is looking pretty pissed. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah, because Patak doesn't have a secondary bridge. No. <laughs> Why would there be need for a secondary bridge? There is only one system lord. Yes. They all run away through the door, Poffus looking on, unable to do anything because they've got Chlorel a prisoner. And uh, they decide they're going to blow up. I forget what they blow up there at this point. What they say they're going to blow up. Oh, they're going to go for the gliders to get off the ship. Yeah, and they've got to find the shield generator. Yes, and they will be killing two birds with but one stone. 
Yes, and credit to whichever studio did the CGI for the Shield Generator. That looked good. It does look really good, yeah. It reminded me of uh, the episode with Odo, where they had a lot of sort of industrial-looking things like that, subterranean world. There were some nice CG effects in that as well. It looked, looked quite a lot like that. Sometimes, you know, you, you can make a nice backdrop, and then the green screen doesn't work. Yes. And that, unfortunately, is a problem with modern movies as well. Mm-hmm. You can have a $200 million movie where the green screen just doesn't look quite right, and you just go, ugh. Yeah. <laughs> this worked very nice for a TV show. It looked very nice. It looks nice now. Yeah, and that's saying something. Yeah. Of course, Braytac, right, we're going to climb down this level, down this level, take, take those stairs down there, elevate it down another four levels, and we'll get to the control <laughs> yeah. room. Or grenades. Yeah. <laughs> I do love this, except I can't help, because I know what's coming, I can't help but feel that, that Tony is playing for time for Jack to butt in. Yes. The way he sort of pauses between words. He's like, we will take the steps down and then we'll take a bridge across and then it's excellent. Then Jack pulls out two grenades and just chucks them down this massive hole. (laughs) There's some sort of explosion down there. Yeah, unfortunately the timers worked very well. It would have been rather pointless if they'd exploded halfway down and didn't really do much damage. Yeah. We can assume that the actual core of the ship, the main power plant, not just a shield generator. Yeah, we don't really see that again. Yeah, I'd have thought the shield generators would be on the hull. And yeah. actually, you know, we energy conduits. Not a device in the centre of the ship that actually generated the shield. No, I, don't, I, can't, I can't build a spaceship. <laughs> but then it must be some kind of emitter because of the way it, it appears around the ship. Yeah. Anyway, the grenades go off and the shield goes down, so... Yeah, yeah, that's the most important bit of that scene. <laughs> and Braytac, you know, now we die. That's a bad plan. Yes. <laughs> yeah. This isn't the first time that Jack has had to point out to Braytac that it's better to live another day and fight than just go, oh, well. Yeah, the Jafar, I think, are inbred to be a little pessimistic. Yes. It's almost like the Vort, not the Vort, the Jemadar. You know, we're going to die today unless we live. Yeah. But we might not, so we're going to die. <laughs> yeah. None of this making plans for tomorrow. We may not live through today in business. Yeah. They roll a grenade through a doorway. One of the fancy flashbang things again, the magic eight ball, and knock out every single person in the glider bay. Yeah, and that must be a big room. Yeah, I know, I thought that. I was like, wow, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, I mean, it's like the deck of an aircraft carrier, you know, one little little grenade took everybody out on on the deck. Uh, Okay. Yeah, and they all dropped at once. It was very synchronized. Very good work. Yeah. Sorry, I keep picking this apart, but I love it. It's brilliant. Oh, you're always going to find places you can pick apart. That's half the fun of it. It is. It is. It's like watching Red Dwarf. It's like, I love but my goodness. <laughs> and uh, Braytac, once again, has a little dig with Jack, calling him human again, and Jack finally stopped calling me human. Yeah. I couldn't help but feel like that was ad-libbed between the two of them. It very well could have been, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so they uh, jump into some cool little chair things, and they lift up inside the gliders. So we finally get an idea of how it is that people manage to get into those death gliders. Although you look at, you'd think the canopy would raise up. Yeah. It looks like the canopy would raise. Obviously, it doesn't. But now I'm curious. I'm wondering if there's any episode of Stargate where it's where it's done the opposite and the canopy has raised. In fact, maybe it has. I'm thinking of when Poffer's crash landed on that planet when you're asking for asylum. Yeah. I'm that... wondering about that one where Jack and maybe Teal'c have to jump out of the craft. Oh, tangent. 
Oh, you've got a good memory. One of the better episodes. Yeah. Well, we'll have to look that up later. Right. Sarcophagus. And, oh, look, Daniel. He's back from the dead. And he's nearly dead. And his uniform's been fixed, too. (laughs) (laughs) You can't help but notice that straight away, thinking, hang on a minute, it's dry cleaned, it's patched up. Yeah, not only that, his radio that's strapped to the exact point at which that staff weapon hit, that's intact, that's back in its pocket where it belongs. (laughs) It makes you wonder, you know, is this sarcophagus some sort of nanite-based technology? You know, it floods the vault with nanites and it literally repairs everything to a baseline. And then they go back in time first, though. The nanites look look back in time, <laughs> say, all right, guys, yeah. what have we got to look for? This is how for? it should work. Yeah, oh, well, it happened again, but it's fine. Yeah, hands up, who's surprised that Daniel is still alive? <laughs> Nobody? Okay. Yep. At this point, Poffus and Clarell, they are ringing off the ship. Where are they going? Yeah, I was wondering that. I can only assume that they had the same plan Daniel did, but because they're on the other ship, they used the Stargate first? Mm, yeah, that's doable. That was the only thing I could come up with. I couldn't remember if we find out in the next episode or not. If if the Earth Stargate's active, though, they, the Stargate on the ship won't work. No, that's what I mean. So it, there must have been a must be a time difference between them. It's the only the only theory I could come up with. Unless, of course, there's a, another maybe a shuttle bay, Alkesh yeah. or something like that. Escape pod. <laughs> well, plus you have to remember. Daniel looks at the the C4 and it says he's got like a minute and 14. And, uh, <laughs> oh, yes. So you have to bear in mind that the fact that the Stargate has a really convenient feature in that if you need it to close quickly, you run through and it closes <laughs> straight away. But if you need it to stay open, it will just stay open indefinitely. One of the mysteries of the Stargate technology, how it knows. <laughs> it knows. It knows. Yep. Sometimes it'll cut off literally as you are an inch past the event horizon. Yeah. We've seen it chop staff weapons in half before. <laughs> Who knows how that works? It just knows. Daniel's dialing the Stargate. We get a cut to Sam in one of the death gliders. Punch it. Yeah, I like that. You've got the, fi- you've got the feeling that Sam, as an Air Force pilot, is going to have a high time in the death glider. Yep. Two ships emerge from the attack. Boom. They get caught in the blast. They're tumbling away. Nice effect <laughs> on the wings of the death glider uh, burning away. It looked pretty cool. Yeah. They're certainly badly damaged. They're not going to be able to make re-entry, that's for sure. No. It was at this point I wondered if the canopy area is self-contained and everything else around it is not oxygenated because fortunately, although the rest of the glider is covered in holes, they can still breathe and everything's fine. Yeah, strange that. Yeah. It's good Uh, to know that the system lords care about their pilots. Exactly. Obviously they are designed (laughs) to be retrieved and the pilots can fly another day. We see some... Cool little radio things as well get handed out. Oh, yeah, little, little Bluetooth. Yeah. <laughs> They're pretty cool. We get a quick view of Walter at Stargate Command. He's just got a wire. How primitive. <laughs> <laughs> yep, he's living in the past. Uh, they do have some very nice shots of the two Death Gliders now just floating serenely in space. Yeah, I know that's beautiful, isn't it? You get one side by side as Jack looks out at Sam and Tilk in the other Death Glider, and then you get must be the one you're talking about where you're getting the blue planet. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> yeah, that is gorgeous. Yeah, and you can see the sort of light shining off the ocean and things. It's, it looks very cool. you got Braytac, not bad for an old man. Sam just whittling on. Jack, just look up. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a planet above him. I can't remember what Braytac says, but at this point, Keok says, we die free. We get another mention of their urge to not die under the hand of a oppressive system lord 
To be fair, it's been a pretty good day. It has. Yeah. If you were planning it, it probably couldn't have come out much better. Yeah. Back at the SGC, incoming traveller. No surprise, Daniel comes through the Stargate. He's uh, been to the Alpha site and dialed back. Clever boy. Yeah. <laughs> and and the shuttle. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Let's not worry how the two technologies mesh, how the lack of a spacesuit for certain members of the SGC and Jafar works. <laughs> well, we know that they launched the Endeavour earlier because they do mention it in their episode. Yeah. And obviously you can fit like huge amounts of things in the shuttle. Is there one really good feature? You can. It had a, a reasonably large cargo bay. So. The uh, belief is it had to be big enough to carry US military spy satellites. Yeah, convenient. <laughs> Presumably they could get a couple of death gliders in there. Okay, I'll go with that. Yeah. No problem. <laughs> Grab the, the robotic arm. Yep, Canada. They've got a grip, bring it on, you know, mass isn't a problem. Inertia might be something you've got to watch out for, but a job done. Retro thrusters on there. Yeah, put it this way. Some unspecified time later, SG-1, minus Daniel, walk into the gate room. They've just travelled down 28 levels, but this is where they had all the meeting and the clapping and the cheering. Yeah, why <laughs> is that? <laughs> Didn't they go to the infirmary? I had to go to the infirmary just to get checked out, you know, please. But, I've no, had a rough day. in the gate room. Oh, to be fair, I, I think I would have thought that Braytac was ready to leave or something, but yeah, he has a, a wonderful moment with Hammond that we'll uh, that oh, everyone yes. who's, who loves Stargate will always remember. Runs his hand across his dome and says, <laughs> you must be Hammond of Texas. <laughs> I don't know much about you, but I know you're bold. Yep. <laughs> and um... again, Braytac puts a lot of value on the integrity, capabilities of soldiers, of men and women, doesn't matter. And that reflects on the people that they give their loyalty to. The very fact that Jack, Daniel, Sam, and even Tilk respect General Hammond and have spoken nothing but praise for him. That's all Braytac needs to know. Yeah. Hammond of Texas. We're going to be friends, mate. We're going to be friends. <laughs> it's brilliant. Like, like you say, he's ready to go home. I've got to go back. Who knows what's happening on Chulac? Uh, but first, sir, can we debrief you? Yeah, we've got some no. questions for you. <laughs> but you couldn't ask no. these on the way down? <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you what. You come with me while I go back to my home planet and try <laughs> to organise this rebellion, okay? I did notice the guy that leads him away puts his hand on his arm as if to pull him where he wants him. And I was like, well, that's oh, a brave choice. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard you're very old, sir. Would you care to hold my arm? Off? Yes. <laughs> yep. Yeah, Hammond says there's someone else that you need to see and moves out of the way. And Daniel kind of like shoves his way through to the front from the back where he's standing for some reason. There's lots of hugging and Jack calls him a space monkey. Ruffles his hair. Yeah. Brilliant. And the camera pans out through the Stargate and... Looks as they're all having a jolly good time. A nice end to a very, very, very long day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what a cracking three-part episode. That was incredible. I'm sure somebody at some point have spliced these three episodes together to make a feature. Oh, yeah, definitely. That would be very impressive. More impressive if we could get them remastered, but that's never going to happen because 16mm doesn't look good. No, you just got to accept it as it is. Yeah. Fantastic. That was The Serpent's Lair, opening to Season 2. And if if this is what we can expect from Season 2, oh boy. Stargate just gets better and better and better as it goes on, I think. It does. Every episode, every series has the odd episode where you think, eh. But if you've watched any of the commentaries, you'll know that sometimes they purposely make episodes that are a little lower budget. And as soon as you know that, and you see a couple of episodes that are low budget, you know that the next... Like, or season finale or something is going to be epic. <laughs> yeah. They're never short changes. Whatever they do, they do it for a reason. Yeah, just brilliant. 
Right then, we'll wrap this up rather quick. We've been talking for a long, long time. An hour and 42 <laughs> minutes, apparently. OK then, folks, that was The Serpent's Lair. Our next episode is going to be a pick and mix. I'm going to start putting invitations to former guests of the show, put it out on Twitter and Facebook, etc. If anybody wants to join me, first-timers, talk about any episode you want to. If you do want to get in touch with us, email stargatearchives at gmail.com. Our website is stargatearchives.com. We are on Facebook, Google+, and we are still using the old at the Gatecast on Twitter. Ian, thank you very much for joining me. I know it's been hectic. I know you've been busy. Ah, not a problem at all. It's my pleasure. I was glad to try and make the time to do it. So, like I say, hopefully I can get a few more people interested in, so we can fill in some of the some of the gaps and get a more regimented release schedule. <laughs> <laughs> There is no planned schedule for this podcast at the moment. It just goes out whenever whenever I've got something ready. certainly makes it a lot easier as a guest. <laughs> you want to give us your contact information? Absolutely, yeah. So, uh, obviously, I'm Ian. And on Twitter, I'm Mr. Nebby, N-E-double-B-I. And uh, Gatecast always tweet me out. So, if you're uh, struggling to find me on Twitter, just head to the Gatecast Twitter account and you'll find me there. Excellent. That's it. Okay, then, folks. Thank you very much for joining us for this episode of the Stargate Archives. Please feel free to get in touch with us. Any subject, well, by any subject, I mean anything to do with Stargate. (laughs) (laughs) I've been Mike. And I've been Ian. Take care. Bye-bye. See you later, space monkeys. (laughs) 